0: This is a one and all media podcast.
1: God comes to Job as creator and designer. And in the same way, he takes the chaos of the universe and brings beauty and design. He takes the chaos of your life and brings beauty and design out of it. Even if you don't understand it comprehensively, the reason is, is because you're not God. That's where the step of faith is required. If that were it, that wouldn't encourage me that much. Today. Today. Today.
0: Today with Jeff finds
1: We are taking the gospel to the world.
0: Pastor, apologist, and Bible teacher.
1: One truth that will be delivered in love and compassion, connecting every one person to all that God has promised them. You
0: make me want. today 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 with Jeff fines my name is Aaron, and you're listening to Today with Jeff Fines. Thanks for joining me back here to finish this message about living life through tragedy as a Christian. We're continuing in our series about living dangerously, and today Pastor Jeff is going to continue talking about that topic we started last time, which is tragedy. And there's no better book in the Bible to look at than the story of Job. Job endured unbelievable trials and losses. His trust in the sovereignty and even the authority of God was truly tested in his life. And there are so many principles from the story of Job that we're able to apply to our lives today. So here's Pastor Jeff with the rest of the
1: message. And next Job says, God, please, in Job chapter 6, verse 24, teach me, and I will hold my peace. Cause me to understand. God, don't give me some philosophical general answer. I want realism. Tell me the why, because if you tell me the why, God, I'll be able to endure the what. All right, Eliphaz sits down. Here comes Bildad. Bildad's a little younger and a little less kind. And here's what he says to Job. At least he makes some sense, though. Job chapter 8, your words are a blustering wind. He calls Job a windbag. Great friend, eh? Good friend. Ask the former generations and find out what their fathers learned. For we were born only yesterday and know nothing. Will they not bring forth words from their understanding? Now, what Bildad is saying has some truth to it. Now, follow me here. It is true that when you're going through a difficult time and the rug's been pulled out from under you and you don't know where you're going and you don't know how God's involved in all this, that it is helpful to read or to hear somebody or to meet somebody that's experienced what you're experiencing and to learn how they've endured and made it through and how God's worked wonderfully in their lives. That's one of my faults. I read primarily for knowledge. Very seldom do I read for encouragement, and I need to do more of that. But I will admit, when I do come across these people I mean, my hero, as I've told you before, is Corrie Ten Boom. The more I read of her, it's astounding what she's like. Together, all these women in the concentration camps of Ravensbrück and of Auschwitz and tell them that God sent the fleas to infest the barracks so that the guards would stay out and allow them to have Bible study and prayer and encourage one another. Now, that's some great faith there. And then to look at those women in Ravensbrück that are suffering and dying of disease And to say to them, no matter how deep your despair, God's love is deeper still. But there's a point at which that, Bill, Dad, it's great to hear, but there's a point at which it falls short, right? Now, you think about this. I preached this sermon last night, and I went home. God is sovereign. He's on the throne. He's involved, right? Now, I've shared with you that we have a family dog, Milo. Don't worry, you're not going to see his photo every other week. This dog is important to my family. I need to tell you why. Because when I told my daughter Sion when we were in New Zealand that we were leaving and coming back to the United States, she slammed the door and told me she would never speak to me again. Until I convinced her that Milo was coming as well. Now, folks, I had to give up something that was very dear to me to afford Milo to come. I mean, he cost more than we did. We should have just put him on a seat in the airplane, it would have been cheaper. And it is always ease the pain for her because Milo's the one constant she's had in her life, she, she was a little girl, and she chose him. So I preached this sermon last night. I go home, I'm working on little details just to fine-tune it a bit. My wife comes screaming in the back door of our home. She never screams. I mean, she lives on an even kill. Good thing because I'm always up here. So she comes in and she says, Jeff, hurry. Milo's been bitten by a rattlesnake. So the family dog Milo gets bitten last night right on the schnoz by a rattlesnake. So my heart is pumping. Thank God my daughter Sion is not here this weekend. So Robin and I, we call the vents to try to find out where we're going to take Milo. Nobody has the, uh, the, the anti-venom. We have to go to Pasadena. We get there. The doctor says, you know, this is a big bite a lot of venom. We don't know if he's going to make it. So I'm sitting out there. Here's what happened to me all last night. I don't sleep a wink, okay? So I cannot be held responsible for anything I say today. (laughs) Because I'm sitting there, lying there thinking, how am I going to tell my little girl she's come to a new place and her dog is dead? You ever prayed for an animal? Well, let me tell you what I did last night. God, I don't know how you're involved in all this, but let me tell you what happened. On the way to the hospital, I'm in the car, and it's like, have you ever talked to yourself? It's like the bad self, which is usually me all the time, uh, the good self started to speak, right? And the good self said, hey, what about your sermon last night? God is sovereign. He's always in control. And I said, shut up. <laughs> don't give me that stuff. I'm mad right now. And what, you, you do that, right? What I, I didn't want any kind of platitude. I didn't want somebody to say to me, God will never take you where his grace will never sustain you. I don't care about that right now. I just want my dog better. I want somebody to go to God and represent me and say, wait a minute, God, perhaps there's a better way to go about doing what you're trying to do in this guy's life. That's what Job says to build that. In Job chapter nine, verse 33, after he's told Eliphaz, teach me and I will hold my peace and cause me to understand. And then to build that, he says, if only there were somewhere, someone to arbitrate between God and me. My friends are useless. Somebody go to God on my behalf and say, hey, let's talk about what we're doing here. Maybe there's a better way to achieve this goal. By the way, my wife just called 10 minutes ago and said, he's fine. And then the third person comes to Job. His name is Zophar. He's the youngest, therefore, he's the rudest. Because when you haven't lived life long enough, you've got nothing to say about pain. That's just the reality. And Zophar says to him, oh, this is, this is really good. Job chapter 11, verse 12. He says, it is more likely, Job, that a donkey will give birth to a human being than for you to listen to wisdom. <laughs> Great friend. I read that. Now, what's going on here? Well, remember I told you about my friend Ali Mooney in New Zealand who does a lot of temperament analysis. And I like to hear her description of the sanguine personality. The sanguine personality is the person who goes to a party where there's 100 people. He finds somebody that will listen, and he talks about himself for 20 minutes. After 20 minutes, he says, okay, enough about me. What do you think about me? That's the sanguine personality. Zophar has made this whole thing about him. He's mad at Job because Job's pain has inconvenienced him. By the way, that's how you know who your real friends are. When you're hurting, do your friends run because it's inconvenient, or do they embrace you and help you through it? And Job, out of his frustration, says to his three friends, you know what? Before you guys came here, I had a lot of problems. Now that you're here, I got one more. When all of you die, wisdom's going to die with you. There'll be no more wisdom left in the world when you're gone. And he finally cries out to God and he says, okay, you're not going to give me an answer. That's evident. I'm not going to understand why I'm in all this pain. Then at least tell me this. When a man dies, will he live again? Just tell me that. After it's all over, is there something better on the other side? Now it's at that point that Job, as he humbles himself and he remains silent, that God starts to speak. And what God does here is amazing because he does not answer Job's question. Instead, do you know what he does? He asks Job a series of 64 questions back to back to back to back. And here's what he says. Number one, where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Do you sense the sarcasm? Think God can't be sarcastic? Have you journeyed to the springs of the sea or walked in the recesses of the deep? Have the gates of death been shown to you? What is the way to the abode of light? And where does darkness reside? Can you bring forth the constellations in their seasons? Who endowed the heart with wisdom and gave understanding to the mind? Do you know when the mountain goats give birth? Do you watch when the doe bears her fawn? What is God accomplishing here? Please stay with me. What God is doing in these questions is forcing Job to open up within his modest stock of certainties. He's forcing Job to open up within his modest stock of certainties. He says this to Job. Job, since you're the kind of man that can only believe in that which he understands comprehensively, exhaustively, and fully, then tell me something. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the world? Do you understand how the sun goes up and down in the sky? Do you understand the stars in the constellations? Do you understand how when a, a man and a woman come together in the beautiful union of marriage, that a life is born, is conceived? Do you understand how... An animal in the wilderness gives birth to the young. Where were you when the sprawling mountains came into place? Surely you know Job. Do you know what God is saying to Job? He saying, okay, Job, is that the way you want it? There's a thousand things that happen every day in your life, Job, for which you do not have a comprehensive understanding that you readily accept and embrace and enjoy. You're not like Chicken Little. You don't run out every day and have to wonder, is the sky falling? But you don't know how it stays in its place yet you readily embrace and accept that it will every day. Job, God says, your pain is no different. You're not God. There's a point at which you're finite and I'm infinite. And Job, if I told you everything, you probably would not understand it anyway. You are finite, I am infinite. And just the same way you don't understand everything about the universe in which you live, but you readily embrace and accept it, the same is true of your pain. Now here's the deal, if that was the end, That would be very frustrating, wouldn't it? Oh, that's it, God? But it's not. And this is where I pick up the outline in your bulletin because in this, Job learns two valuable lessons. We're working our way toward the second, but we have to go through the first. Number one, in our pain, God comes to us as creator and designer of all things. Now, please stay with me. In our pain, God comes to us as creator and designer of all things. You remember the old joke, where the scientists and God have a meeting, and the scientist says to God, I don't think you're that great. Anything you can do, we can do. And so God reaches down, picks up some dirt, and makes a man. And the scientist says, I can do that. So he reached down, picks up some dirt, and God says, oh, wait a minute, get your own dirt. (laughs) That's what the Bible describes in Genesis 1. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty, and darkness was over the surface of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. In other words, first, God created chaos. First, he made all the substance and the form, but it was formless and shapeless, so everything that was required to bring this beautiful place into existence first required chaos. That's why I love reading John Polkinghorne's work called The First Three Minutes of the Universe. It's astounding, the fine-tuning, the precision. Remember we talked about this? The expansion... And contraction of the universe had to be so precise. I mean, not to the minute or the second, to the micro, micro microsecond. He talks about picoseconds, which is the time it takes for something traveling the speed of light to cross the width of a hair. We're talking about that kind of fine tuning that God creates all this form and shape and this void and all these elements, and then he brings them all together out of the chaos and brings forth beauty and design and pattern. For a long time I wondered why does God speak to Job in this way primarily about the creation scenario. And then it dawned on me. Here's what God is doing. Job, in the same way that God brought pattern and beauty and design out of the chaos to bring forth this beautiful world, the same God who did that can take the chaos in your life and bring beauty and design and pattern out of it. That God is the grand weaver. That every event that's ever happened in your life is not by accident, but God is weaving it together to make you into the person he needs and wants you to become. That God comes to Job as creator and designer, and in the same way he takes the chaos of the universe and brings beauty and design, he takes the chaos of your life and brings beauty and design out of it. Even if you don't understand it comprehensively, The reason is, is because you're not God. That's where the step of faith is required. If that were it, that wouldn't encourage me that much. It's the last part that we learn the lesson that God meant for Job. And it's worded like this. In our pain, God comes to us as the revealer and comforter. If that were it, that wouldn't encourage me that much. It's the last part that we learn the lesson that God meant for Job. And it's worded like this. In our pain, God comes to us as the revealer and comforter. Now I want you to try as best you can to block out everything and listen to this last part. Job says in Job chapter 42, my ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. My ears have heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. The answer to every pain in your life will never be given propositionally. You know what I mean by that? No preacher's ever going to stand up here and tell you why you're in the pain that you're in. It's impossible because there are too many possibilities. It's never going to come propositionally. It is only found in a relationship. And the problem with most who call themselves Christians is that they've never had a Jesus revelation. Their ears have heard about him, but their eyes have never seen him. And you want to stand on the outside looking in, And you want to say to God, when you explain to me all the details of the universe and all the details, philosophically speaking, of my pain, then maybe I'll step inside and come to you. God says, no, it doesn't work that way. You come to me first, and through a relationship, I will give you the answers to the deepest, most penetrating questions of your life. That's exactly what he told Moses. Remember what happened in Exodus 3? Moses comes to God and he says, God, how do I know? How can I be sure that you're going to be with me? As we lead the children of Israel out of bondage and into the promised land, how do I know that you'll be with me and give me the words to say to Pharaoh? Do you remember how God responded in Exodus chapter 3, verse 12? And God said, I will be with you, and this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship me on this mountain. How do you like that for a sign? God says, you want to know when you're going to know for sure it was me when it's all over? And you're on the mountain saying, wow, did God not do a cool thing? And you're going to worship me. God says, no, no, no. You take the step of faith first. Get rid of your bitterness and your anger at God because you think he should have done something in a specific way. You take a step of faith and God says he will come to you as comforter and revealer. My friend Brett Mullen at the end of the golf open. I'm getting on the bus. It's all over now. And he put his arm around me. And he said, Jeff, there's one more thing I want you to know. All the things that have happened to me, I stand back now, and I see the pattern, and the beauty, and the design, because what I didn't tell you is that very early in my life as I was a golf pro and working at golf clubs, I became an alcoholic. I was destroying my family, my marriage, my children, and everybody around me, and I was in a hotel room one night, and I bent my knee to God, and I said, God, he said, because Jeff, I was a believer. I had heard of him with my ears, but I'd never seen him with my eyes. Now, folks, stay with me. He said, I knelt down on the ground, and I said, God, I can't take it anymore. I don't know why these things are happening. Whatever you got to do, whatever you got to do to rescue me from this alcoholism and this pattern in my life, do it. Brett said, Jeff... I don't care what any preacher tells me. I'm telling you right now that I sense the overwhelming presence of God in that room with me. I didn't see a visible thing, but I knew he was there. And it's like God put his arm around me and said this, that's exactly what I've been waiting on. And the next day, Brett said, I lost my job. Because if your primary job is a golf pro and you sit around drinking with the members all the time, then don't you think God would want to remove you from that situation that he might heal you? And Brett said, now I've seen him with my eyes. We need a Jesus revelation. And the only way that you're going to be able to understand your pain is not through proposition, but through relationship. My little boy Delaney, when we were in Auckland, he would run over to the neighbor's house almost every day and just open the door, not even knock and walk in because that's where his friend lived. And then one day his friend moved and we had new neighbors, but he didn't know that. (laughs) And he walked into the door, ran in, and he was met face to face with a Great Dane. At which point he came running over into the yard and he leapt into my arms. Please, daddy, help me, help me. What just happened? That's exactly what God is waiting on you to do. To throw away your anger and your bitterness and run and jump into his arms because through relationship, the creator, designer, will show you how he's going to take the chaos of your life and bring pattern and design. And in the meantime, he's going to reveal to you what he's doing and bring comfort along the way. I remember my mother standing in church. Man, the tears rolling down her face. I was looking up as the little boy, you know, and she would always pull my hair in church, which is the problem. And I remember this one song she used to love to sing. Oh, man, she sang it so loud. We were a poor family. Three brothers, a two-bedroom farmhouse. We were struggling to make it, and church was the place my mom went just to meet God and kind of get some understanding and clarity, but there was this one song. Every time we sang it, she would stand up, she would just let it flow. And it was that old song, you remember the old hymn, It Is Well With My Soul? And you know the story behind that, right? The guy who wrote it in the late 1800s, he was a supporter of D.L. Moody's ministry, a respected man, and then the Chicago fire destroyed everything that he had, everything. He got his wife and his four children And he put them on a ship headed toward Europe. And he said, we're going to get away from this. Go on vacation or something. I'll meet you there. And we'll go before God and ask him what he's doing. On the way over to Europe, the boat ran head on into an English vessel and sank within 12 minutes. And he lost all four of his children. So he's lost everything in his business. Now he's lost his family. He received a telegram from his wife that read, her name was Anna, that read, saved alone. Only I survived. The story's remarkable because she was unconscious, but it just so happened that when she was knocked off the ship, that she was knocked on a piece of plank, a wood, and she floated till she was rescued. And she said when she got angry at God, she kept remembering something that she had told herself for many, many years. It's easy to be good with God when things are good, but make sure that you are not a fair weather friend to God. A couple of years went by and her husband got on a boat. They were traveling now as a family. They had a new little baby girl. They came to the spot where the wreck had occurred and where he had lost so much. And As he stood out looking over and the captain directed him, this is where it all began. This is the disaster. Feeling overwhelmed by what his wife had said, he went down into the cabin and wrote the words to the song. It is well, it is well with my soul. I can't give you the answer. I don't know it. I can only point you to the one who does, but you will never find it on the outside looking in. Run and jump up in his arms and let him bring the beauty out of the chaos of your life and give you the wisdom that you need so that you too can stand no matter what's happening exteriorly and you can say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Would you, would you stand with me right now? Would you sing that song with me? Would you, would you ask God to help you let go of your anger and your bitterness for the way he hasn't acted in your life the, the way you thought he should have? Would you just ask him to forgive you? And instead of complaining and looking on the outside, would you come and run to him? If you need somebody to pray with you, you need to let that go, because I promise you, I promise you, it will only happen when you run to him. There is no other way. Only he knows the answers and wants to give it to you in relationship. And this is your opportunity as we sing together.
0: You've been listening to Today with Jeff Vines. Next time, we'll bring you a new message from Pastor Jeff. You can listen to more messages like this. Just search for Today with Jeff Vines wherever you listen to podcasts. You make me want to dance and sing with every single breath I breathe. I will bring this up. You are my wonder. You win the wonder. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Vines.